Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 17. Is the chicken war just a class war? Big Chillians, welcome back as always to the Big Chill Podcast. Eddie, I want to start off with you because I opened my trunk today and found that I still have the presents I meant to send you on Christmas in my trunk. So you are getting a nice delayed Christmas present that will hopefully get there in the next week or two. So you can you can look forward to one of those surprise presents. For no, for no real reason. But well, that, I mean, I, all, all I'll say on that is, I had a, I had a, like a misdelivery notice in my letterbox like a week ago, which I had presumed was your present because I was like, I don't think anyone else has sent me anything. I've yet to go and pick it up. Now I might not even bother going to pick it up because I don't even know what it could be. So. I might now just leave that, but that's, I had assumed that it was your present. So you could have, you could have sent it and got away with it. Uh, it's okay. I, it was just funny. Cause I had, I opened it. It actually opened up by accident, my trunk. Cause I had pushed a button by accident. When I went to close it in the corner, I saw like these packages and I was like, what the hell are those? And then realized I was like, oh shit. So you have something coming, but that actually brought up another point about Christmas and <laughs> yeah. the idea of card giving and sending things. And then Sam has something I think he wants to say. <laughs> um, who's on your Christmas card list, Eddie? Um, <laughs> so Frank is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Anyone else? Or anyone uh, not on it, maybe, that might be talking right now? That's yeah. a little bit in hurt. fairness, in fairness, I think I only send... So uh, to friends, I actually think Frank is the only person I send a Christmas card to. Please say Other... Jake. No, no. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Jake, Ollie, <laughs> Tom, <laughs> Paul, anyone. Some, some random guy I see in the street every once in a while. Sometimes I just hand them out as I go along. No, but in fairness, Frank has sent me a Christmas card. I'm just going to say this. Frank at least has also sent me a Christmas card. Most of my Christmas cards I send off to people. I've given this year in particular, I was lazy just because obviously the hassle of doing it at times. And then also uh, the post was so slow anyway that it felt pointless. Like I sent some Christmas cards to England that only arrived in February. So it, like <laughs> I, I didn't so it, it just like in the build up to Christmas with knowing how the postal service was working I didn't bother sending a lot of them that I would have normally sent anyway but for the most part I do get annoyed that I go through the hassle I'll say this as a pet peeve if I send you a Christmas card and you just send me like a thank you email then I, I'm I, it's so annoying you're you're absolutely right you've got to match the gesture so if it's a card you've got to send a card if it's like a christmas email with some weird gif on do the same that's fine but yeah you can't you can't send an email back to a card what if but what if you sent a card and they send you a christmas email with a gif before they receive said card 
then they need to send me like if it's me if i get a christmas card from someone i will send you a card okay what about this you send them a card but actually a few few days later you get a present from them do you then have to send them a present i give a present to everyone who gives me a present if you see what I mean, like if you've given how, me how a present, you know that? <laughs> well, no, I don't. Obviously, there are situations. I mean, I do. I've, he keeps I've a never... meticulous record. He's like Rain Man. He's got a notebook. <laughs> it's not that that's hard. Every present that's ever given given to him. <laughs> Sadly enough, not that many people give me presents, so it's a fairly short list. Um, but like, if someone gives me a present, I'll make sure I give them a present at some point and try and like even the score. Do you try and match the value? So no. if you're like, I don't think this is a very good present, so I won't give them a very good present. No, if it's a really bad present, there, there are some people who give me, the only presents that I dislike is I have some people who, and I like, um, I like sports books and I like some sports autobiographies, but I do have a series of people who just rely on the idea that every like Christmas or birthday, they can just give me like random athlete sports biography. And it's just like, why on earth would I? I read can't this? wait for you to open up your present. <laughs> <laughs> but you have given me, even if this was a, if, even if this is a bad present, Frank, you have in the past given me good ones. So, like, this is when people just year in, year out, I know exactly. And it's not like I'm all for receiving a book. Like, I like books as gifts because it's one of those things I actually don't bother to buy for myself a lot of the times. But if it's just like, oh, you've walked into the sports section of your local bookshop and gone like, must buy present. Oh, this one, this one will do wrap it and give it to Edward. Then it's after like seven or eight years of that. It's like, okay. Oh, a minute bow autobiography. Awesome. Eddie will love that. <laughs> exactly. I think he watched a basketball game once. Here we go. But if you want, Sam, I'll put you on my Christmas card list next year. But you have advanced warning now that you are on my Christmas card list. So I also better receive a Christmas card from you. Is that a threat? <laughs> yeah, because if I don't, then your follow-up Christmas card will be a postal bomb. So you can decide. <laughs> oh, he sent me a present wow, on, you went... ju on January <laughs> 7th. Card to bomb. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I didn't get a card. So here's some anthrax in the post. No, it would be that a bomb. escalated quickly. And then, and so then be a you could, okay. you could, then you could, then you could return the favor by following it up by mailing me your blown off fingers, and I will accept Wait. that as being everything being square. <laughs> how much? How much time would you allow? Because, like you say, you sent a card. Twenty four hours. <laughs> so there has to be this absolute synchronized. Yeah. Wait, wait. He has to send it within 24 hours, or you have to receive his card. I was joking that I have to receive it. I mean, Christmas card. If I've told you now that I'm sending you a Christmas card next year, which I will, I expect to receive a Christmas card in the like Christmas period. Like if it arrives now after Christmas, I will be unless you unless we have similar massive disruption to the post service, I will be disappointed. Like if I get a Christmas card from you on January 25th, when it's obvious that you've just remembered at the last minute and sent it on like January 12th, <laughs> the that's last not going to January 12th. <laughs> yeah, it's still scraping into kind of the New Year Christmas period. 
really christmas kind of extends that long for you for me as soon as that's like a new year card that's a new some people i send like a new year card to yeah it's like a well wishes card (laughs) yeah whatever whatever that means yeah happy new year like hope uh 2022 goes well for you oh okay the future i I just thought that'd be a weird thing to say (laughs) and i'll say no and i'll reply that's exactly what you're gonna say yeah and i'll (laughs) reply back yeah, I hope you like. Oh, uh, Merry Christmas, Sam! I hope you've bought lots of hands-free devices. But please open this box. <laughs> so, Frankie, you want his New Year's card list as well? I'm just on the overall winter holiday card list. It's a short I'm list. Actually... As I said, I think Frank is my only non-family member on the list. And that's actually not the only Hewitt I receive a card from. (laughs) (laughs) Sam, you're even further deep in. (laughs) Yeah, just real slap in the face. (laughs) I'm truly humbled by my positioning in Eddie's hierarchy here. I mean, look, you can't even respond to a text message. You think you're going to get a Christmas card? I mean, here he goes again. Can you can you leave a Christmas card on red? I don't know. Does that work? <laughs> yeah, it just sits in the envelope where like the mail goes in, and then you well, wait till you come I to visit. Take a photo so, like, of it. It I just take a photo of it daily. <laughs> like it's yeah. still on red. Yeah. No, I think Frank's right. You wait for me to visit your apartment, and then you very prominently leave the envelope unopened, just there, so I see it. That would be really funny. Now, Frank, uh, we, in our last episode, we spoke about the Tiger Woods injury, and I had some news relating to that, I suppose, that I thought uh, might interest you. The BBC decided to ask a orthopedic surgeon 10 key questions relating to the Tiger Woods injuries. And one of them is, well, question number one, how serious are his injuries? And for the most part, the surgeon basically explains not that serious, but obviously he can't know the extent of the injuries without like seeing the x-rays and stuff himself. But based on the description, seems like something he should be able to recover from. What were the injuries? Because I actually haven't seen what they actually, what they really so they've, were. So they've released the kind of full extent of it. Okay. Yeah. They, well, a basic description. So he's broken his uh he's fractured his tibia Ooh. and then he uh i think he's also fractured his ankle and i think he has one other injury and reassuring news for tiger woods and any tiger woods fans out there this this is the description that the orthopedic surgery the orthopedic surgeon said A right leg injury is typical for a car accident because you put your right foot on the pedal for the brake and it stabilizes against that. When you have an impact from the front, it drives the front part of the car into your leg and compresses it. The American football player Alex Smith sustained a similar injury to his tibia, an open comminuted fracture, a break in more than two places in 2018 and he developed all sorts of complications so <laughs> encouraging news oh, for tiger Woods. So, it, so is that more ominous <laughs> oh it could be alex smith 2.0 yeah he then speaks like one of the questions that he then answers is how important is it that they operated on him 
very quickly. And he then refers back to the Alex Smith case and just says like the fact that they were able to operate on him swiftly reduces the risk of kind of contamination in the wounds and infection. So from the Alex Smith scenario, I guess Tiger Woods may have dodged a bullet. Oh man. Yeah, that, that would have see now the problem would have been they HBO already came out with that documentary. If they had just waited they could have had Alex Smith 2.0 be like the second part of their documentary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it seems based on what this, the in, initial information that's come out and based on what this surgeon said, for example, that he should be able to return to golf. The surgeon described it as a year long recovery. Basically he would think in order to return to like top flight golf. Wait, how old would that make him? Like, any he's forty. He's forty-five right now, I think. Yeah. Are you because that's what the surgeon d- touches on at one point in the article. He says, like, obviously by golfing standards, he's old, but by recovery standards to an injury like this, as an orthopedic surgeon, you'd still consider consider him to be a relatively young person and someone who's capable of fully recovering. And he's also helped in the fact that it's his right leg that has been injured. So there's less torque on your right leg as a right-handed golfer. If it had been his left ankle, for example, that he fractured, then that's a lot of pressure going through your left ankle as a golfer, a right-handed golfer. So of the two legs, it's the better injury. And then you just have to see, I guess. Are we also going to mention the report that he was not intoxicated or under any influence, Eddie? (laughs) I wasn't implying that he was. I want to defend myself here. Oh, wait, wait. You kind of were. No, no, no. No. I was saying you can't help but think when someone with his history flips a car at 7.30 in the morning, that has to be one of the first things you think about. And undoubtedly, (laughs) it was the first thing that a lot of people thought about, which is why they had to comment on it so quickly that he had passed all of the tests. Now, what I did like actually... The question number three they asked this orthopedic surgeon, will he be in great pain? And how is that managed? And the response is, Tiger has a little history of drug problems. <laughs> and I just liked, <laughs> just, uh, just a nice little cutting to the chase there by the surgeon. So do you think he's going to come back from this? Like, I... I I can't really see it that competitively anymore. Like you say, well, it's a long recovery before coming back. So it's a year from now. I think he'll come back. I think he's so single-minded when it comes to golf that... Well, in fairness, can... he's literally only double-minded. It's just golf and sex. <laughs> golf and sex. <laughs> both of which will have been hampered, both of which will have been hampered by this injury. Yeah. yeah, that's an autobiography if I've ever heard one. But you just have to think, given his, his mentality, that he will be determined to come back. That like this isn't the way he will want his career to end. As to whether or not he'll win anything again, I mean, big question mark as to whether or not he was going to win anything again anyway. I mean, he was competitive, but it's not like he was winning tournaments. Yeah, that was actually going to be my comment. I mean, besides the Masters win that he had, you know, he really didn't 
wasn't doing much of anything. He barely made, I don't think he even, you know, barely making cuts, missed a few cuts even, right? So it wasn't as if he was a top five, top 10 player anymore. If he didn't have that Masters win, this wouldn't even, I don't think people would even be saying like, is he going to come back and play? Because he might not even really be playing at this point if had he not won the Masters. Yeah, like, is there any point if he's going to come back and just tie 70th or Mr. Cut every time? Is that how a one-minded person would want to go out? I mean, it's still fun, right? I think we always, I, I think when you see aging athletes and it's like, oh, you don't want to see them go out this way or you, you don't want to see them be like shadows of their former selves kind of out there competing. But then you forget, like, it's still pretty fun. Like, to be a professional, it must be frustrating. But if you're able to mentally accept I'm not what I was, still going out and experiencing the Masters or experiencing the US Open and getting to play in that scenario, even if you then miss the cut by five shots, still has to be enjoyable. It's better than, mm. put it this way, it's better than your Thursday or my Thursday. So if the option oh, was, <laughs> you know, like if, if, you know, if the option was just going and playing a round of golf and a bunch of people watching you and still getting a bit of money to do it, I would take yeah. it. I mean, in fairness, what was, uh, I can't remember the specific competition, but Bernard Langer beat Deschambeau, didn't he? In the last couple of rounds of like a major tournament. Uh, yeah at the start of last year or midway through last year. So even at like 50 odd, you can still kind of play to a pretty solid standard. So yeah, fair point. Plus, I guess what this does set us up for is Tiger Woods at the Ryder Cup in September as a like vice captain limping around, like maybe still on crutches, just doing his like Tiger Woods, like focus support. That's his real role now. A vice captain or a captain with many vices? <laughs> captain of vices. <laughs> that will be his official title. <laughs> He'll just be uh, encouraging Dustin Johnson to do more cocaine, like uh, putting Brooks Kepka on like a steroid plan, just really helping people to... Just an absolute train wreck of a US Ryder Cup team. But look on the bright side, Tiger Woods legitimately allowed to have drugs now during his rehabilitation. So, I guess that is the bright side, Sam. <laughs> Every cloud has a silver lining. I know this will be jumping around a little, but in other news and postings, there's been a pretty funny sequence of events happening with JJ Watt and his Twitter posts. I don't know if either of you have seen this, but so JJ I saw Watt, that he people were saying he hinted at the team he's going to next. Yeah. And I think the implication so, was it's the Bills. Well, like well, cryptically. So, yeah. So basically he posted this was on the 23rd of February that said mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. And then people were thinking if, if that was a decoded message. So some of the response were one of them was even newbies know in medical circles, mitochondria is often called the green Bay Packers of the cell. Mitochondria, <laughs> the same number of letters as Buffalo bills. Mitochondria research center located in Buffalo, JJ to the bills. Mitochondria has a C in it. Cleveland starts with a C he's coming to the Browns. <laughs> Mitochondria was first discovered in 1857. Coincidentally, the last year the Cowboys won the Super Bowl, confirmed to Dallas. 
<laughs> Mitochondria was this. I mean, he's being by... strong. Oh, I got one more. Uh, Albert von Kolinker, a Swiss embryologist and histologist. The Swiss make cheese like the great people of Green Bay. JJ to the Packers. <laughs> so that was on the 23rd. He then posted another one that said this was today. Midday naps, period. Loathed as a child, revered in adulthood. Are we just not sure that he's gone off the deep end? (laughs) Or he's just posting random things. But his brother then reposted it and said, where's the hidden clue in this one? So some of the responses were, midday rhymes with Green Bay. He's a cheesehead, confirmed. There's an R in revered, an A in naps, an I in midday, a D in child, an E in loathe, and another R in revered. Last but not least, S's in naps. Raiders, confirmed. <laughs> he is going to Pittsburgh. What else do you hate as a child and love now? Like naps, your siblings. Oh, this is the best one, Eddie. You're going to love this one. Confirmed. JJ Watt to Atlanta. They love taking mid-game naps. <laughs> yeah i mean i guess he's just going down the like elon musk route now uh but it's funny when people literally not posting cryptic messages and he's just saying you know like a random stupid thing that people think is a message no no i do agree but then obviously he's aware of the fact that people are like based on his brother retweeting it and asking for like what's the cryptic message here like it would be, I think that's enjoyable if he's genuinely just posting his random thoughts. But the moment when he thinks, oh, people are starting to read into these, I'll keep posting the random thoughts because I like people reading into them when there's nothing, then it's kind of annoying. Is he that big of a signing anymore? No. He's a, he's a name signing. Like you're signing a name rather than like the player he was five or so years ago. I mean, you can, t- you can. You can tell he's not even that big of a signing in reality because I feel like J.J. Watt and his camp are putting in quite a bit of effort to make it seem like he's being courted by like 20 teams in the league, which just doesn't seem possible. So I'm sure there are teams out there that are seriously interested in him. But if I was, if you made me the general manager of a team, I'm I'm not signing J.J. Watt. How old is JJ Watt? Um, so I remember him having the interception in I think his debut playoff appearance, and I feel like that was 2012 or 11. So I would guess that would make him 31, 32, 31. Look at that logic. I think that's right. The, the years might be off, but I feel like I can remember him having that like wild card weekend pick six. And I think it was 2011 or 12. So he's had two years that he's had 20 and a half sacks. That was 2012 and 2014. 2018, he had 16. So that looked like it was going to kind of be start of his comeback after his injuries because he had those two years that he was out and then he played all of 2018 with 16 sacks. So decent year, then missed half of 2019, but then this year played a full season and only had five sacks. 
So either he is regressing very quickly or that was just a statistically terrible year on a, on a very underperforming team. My other concern oh. with him would be... Hmm? He admits it, that J.J. Watt was on a statistically underperforming team. Oh. Well, no, actually, see, that, that actually still makes him... That's Frank still saying the Texans are good, but they underperformed. That yes. isn't that isn't <laughs> the case. They're bad. They performed as expected. The uh, the thing with JJ Watt, the other concern I'd have for him at this point is what impact or effect he'd have on your locker room. Because I kind of didn't like the way he handled the final twelve months or so at the Texans. Like I can understand being frustrated. I can understand being unhappy with Bill O'Brien, but. He became very vocal with those frustrations. I didn't even like him. Like he will have known, for example, when they in that I think it was week 17 when he like patted Deshaun Watson on the back and said, like, we wasted another year with you or whatever. Like he knows right that that's gonna get picked up. It feels very much as if he is someone you could bring in who would try and uh make themselves a very like the face of a team and a prominent figure within your locker room. And that might concern me. Do you think that similarities with like Beckham Jr. in that respect them? Because he exactly is that and move into Cleveland. There was probably that angle as well. So you think what's like a similar kind of person? Outspoken, disruptive. So, I mean, disruptive might be harsh because he kind of justified in everything he did. I think a, a, a good comparison might be Richard Sherman as to uh, you're then starting to judge, like, is the performance dropping off? It, are they a positive impact then in the locker room? Is it a risk that they are too outspoken about certain things if you do bring them in? And also then what impact can they have on the younger players? And so maybe someone looks at it and goes like, JJ Watt trains really hard, prepares really well. So he's the perfect person to have in there as a kind of veteran influence on younger players. And that might be right. But then there's another scenario in which you bring J.J. Watt in three weeks into the season. He doesn't really, the team's not doing well. He's not happy where he is. And then he starts to become a vocal opponent to a head coach or a general manager again. So speaking on trading lines, uh, obviously there's been uh, Russell Wilson who's been in the news. Um, kind of kind of quiet over his like nine seasons, but um he apparently has been extremely vocal in the fact that he got no protection at the Seahawks this season and apparently blew up at the Super Bowl game at how furious he was that he wasn't playing in that game and has apparently demanded a trade. And then as of a few hours ago, the agent has come out and said, nope, he hasn't. So you guys seen anything on that? Are you read anything? Do you think that's a thing? Do you think it's just a rumor mill? I'm of the opinion that usually these things don't come out of nowhere, but curious about how much a fire has been stoked here, maybe with Wilson. I'm sure that there's he's legitimately frustrated, and I'm sure that he and his agent and representatives decided that they want to make that public in an attempt to force the Seahawks to protect him to kind of make the necessary additions to their team so that he feels like he can do his job better. I think that's real. I don't think he really wants a trade. I also just don't know who is trading for him. And that's not because I think Russell Wilson's one of the three best quarterbacks in the league, but it's just a challenge as you even see with the Sean Watson, 
there's actually not that many teams that desperately need quarterbacks that are quite good. And then there's not a lot of teams who then desperately need quarterbacks and have the assets necessary to bring in a top tier quarterback. So I think if Russell Wilson thought, Hey, somehow I'm going to get a trade out of this. I think that was super unrealistic. Or maybe, maybe it was based on somewhere like I read that apparently there was a couple of franchises in, but the saints, the Cowboys and the bears were the three I heard that would somehow be a destination for him. Uh, All of them would have different reasons for getting him right. But interesting, right? The saints would be the perfect fit because Russell Wilson idolized Drew Brees growing up because of his height disadvantage. (laughs) That's a weird one. One small QB and replace him with another one. No, it was, I was like his idol because at the time Drew Brees was one of the only QBs in the NFL under six foot to be successful. And then it was ironic, right? When he found out that Drew Brees despised him because of his skin color. (laughs) (laughs) But then later found out that that upset him. So he apologized. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I just think, I don't think he actually wants to get traded. I think this is just kind of an attempt to put some pressure on the organization to surround him you know, he's in the prime and he's quickly getting out of the prime of his career. What does he have? Maybe three, four more years left of being a top five QB. So, you know, oh, that's pretty he, pessimistic. I don't think so. I don't think that's very pessimistic. How old is he? 32? He's 32. So he's definitely saying, he's to say he's a top five QB to he's 36. I mean, that, that's pretty fair, I think. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is a top five Tom, QB. Tom Brady. And he's 37. Tom Brady was a top five QB until he was at least 40. I don't like whether or not when you start dropping him off the top five list, Drew Brees was a top five quarterback until he was. Was he, Eddie? <laughs> What's Drew Brees? Two, three years. Has he Drew been Brees a top for, five? Drew Brees is 40, right? So I'd say, yeah, until he was 36. 36, 37, he was. Okay, so we're right out to cut off of the age I said. (laughs) I mean, Aaron Rodgers, I think, will be a top five QB for another three years. I think think Aaron Aaron Rodgers is one of the top QBs we're ever going to see. We're in the golden age of quarterbacks. (laughs) And and Russell Wilson is in that. Where were you last time in that argument? (laughs) But I, I, I just think he's trying to push the organization to say, you know, let's surround me with some talent, protect me a little bit. And I think we can make one good run at this in the next few years to build a team that can challenge and make the playoffs and go deep into the playoffs. And he's not wrong. I I mean, he's getting his ass kicked back there. But do you think, um, do you think there's an aspect of like power and control here then? Because you look at, Watson, and he clearly wants more say in the team of the Texans, and it's led to this scenario. Is Wilson doing the same? Is he just trying to have some sort of bravado move here where he wants more say over player selection, signing selection, because he's got the experience to do it? So I I think a little bit, yes. But the major difference between him and Deshaun Watson is, one, he's been to the big games. He's won the big games. And two, he's been with this organization for a very long time and put in his time. You, like, 
I am completely okay with Russell Wilson putting on some power moves to try and push the organization to do the right things because he has put in the time and the effort and the commitment and has been successful. Like that organization is a better organization because of him. Right. I, I mean, they've definitely increased fan bases, money, expenditures, tickets, all, all of that through him. Deshaun Watson can't really say the same as much, if any. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't necessarily having him on parity. It's more the point that, you know, we were talking about the fact that when Brady went to Tampa, he clearly had a say in what was going on around him. Deshaun Watson was trying to make that power play. You've probably got Wilson maybe potentially doing the same thing now. Just kind of interesting maybe that QBs are flexing a little bit here um, over the past yeah, I mean, year. And maybe they saw Brady, right? Maybe they saw what he did and Russell Wilson is kind of saying, hey, I, I'm in the same boat. You know, I've been there. I've been to the big games. I want some I'd say. agree with you. I think he is. I, I, I think there's not many QBs that can do it, but I think Wilson's probably one of them. Speaking of NFL quarterback news, uh, Aaron Rodgers got engaged. That was some of the big, big gossip. He's been engaged apparently for a very long time. Yeah, but it's now publicly confirmed. I think that engagement brings him down a little bit for me. Wait, what? Why? Just the whole so. One, I, th- I think Shailene Wood- Woodley, Woody, Woodley is a little weird. I've, I've seen her in interviews and things like that. And she, she's like one of those, you would define her as quirky for sure. And when they interviewed her about being engaged to Aaron Rodgers, she basically said, I don't see him at all as a football player. Or no, her quote was, I think, I don't see him at all as a person who throws balls for a living. I see him as a as a big nerd and all of this and that. And it's like that, that whole dynamic as, to me. Wait, I, what's see him instead of, I see him instead as a guy who catches balls for a living. <laughs> just... <laughs> but well, wait, well, Frank, what's wrong? Why would that why would that lower your estimation of Rogers? Because that just means that they're in this very strange relationship. I, I mean it would be very, I think it's very weird if you're marrying a person who says, and like, you're like the CEO of a company and they're like, yeah, I don't really see him as the CEO of Amazon. I just see him as like a guy who likes to play Dungeons and Dragons. Like, how can you not see him as that? He's literally in the news 24 seven. Everything he does makes the news. I think I I see. I I agree with you in the principle you're going for here. I disagree with you in why. Like, it's not as if every newspaper she opens up, is just Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers. 64 page spread. Yeah. Like impossible. I I was going with the Amazon CEO reference for that, but. But I do agree. I mean, even if Aaron Rodgers is one of those football players who football isn't his life, which I think is very healthy and normal and should be the way all football players should approach it. You still know he's thinking about football or working on being better at football for such a significant portion of his day that I just dislike it in the, and I'm not seeing her comments, 
it annoys me when famous people in general or really successful people then have to be like, no, no, he's just a normal guy. I don't think about him in the terms of this thing that makes him really special and successful and wealthy and more attractive. Like, oh, that whole bit of him, I don't even consider that. Like if Aaron Rodgers was just stocking shelves in in uh, in his local Walmart and I'd stumbled across him, I would have found him just as endearing if he'd sat down with me to play The Sims. Like, I think that's... <laughs> That's that's the bit. That's the bit that I that I don't like. Like there is an open denial there, which it's the like celebrities, they're just like us, that kind of whole aspect. It's fine to be special, like it's why we it's why people find you interesting. Yeah, but it's also wait, what's her role? Like what what does this person do? She's an actress. Very like very successful, very famous, I'm guessing. Um, I wouldn't say very, I'd say relatively successful. Okay. She's in I, so I'll, I'll she's just in, what is it, Big Little Lies? She's oh in Big Little Lies, and she's the girl in the um she's been uh, cast in HBO movie. stuff, so it's kind of airplane a airplane movie. Yeah, yeah. Um is it up in the air? Oh, you mean the, the one with George Clooney? Yeah, I think that's her. When, what? what? Wait, are you? Do you know something about an upcoming George Clooney movie? <laughs> but my I know point she, is, well, it's when she was in The Descendants. She was in uh, The Fault in Our Stars. Okay, she's famous. She, in that respect, then she's well casted and well known. But she's famous. But she's 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 not Aaron Rodgers famous. I will say no. this: like he is the more famous of the two, undoubtedly. But it's. It's also the position of privilege people are in when they're able to say things about normality that bugs me. She's like, oh, he's just a normal guy. And it's like, well, normal because you also earn hundreds of thousands, if not millions. So normality for you is very different to the concept of normality for everyone else. Yeah, The Descendants. That's a George Clooney one I'm thinking of. I got my, my, okay. my, G, my, got my G Clooney's messed up. <laughs> no, but yeah, here's another the- one. Wait, I just want to emphasize why she, I think she's strange too. She went on <laughs> on on Jimmy Fallon. Just, she just said, to just so we clear here, just for Sam and I, the views that Frank is are about, is about to express do not reflect the views of the Big Chill Podcast as a whole. Please, please I'm continue, just, Frank. I'm just saying this was her quote. She went on to reveal that it was her dog who convinced her to date the NFL player. When I this is her quote now. When I first met him, I think my dog like but she just me means aside. like. But Frank, no, she just means no, like ho- she just means yet. like she just means like <laughs> she just means like her her homeboy. <laughs> okay, well then this is what her homeboy said. When D-A-W-B. I first met him, I think my dog like pulled me aside and was like, "If you don't date this dude, I will disown you as my mother because yeah. the three feet that I run with you when you throw a ball is nothing compared to the marathon I'm able to run with him." I mean, I don't know if you know, Frank, but canines can't speak. So this is definitely a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's a really annoying story. Yeah. Like, uh, and if it's any, if it's in any way true, then she should really rethink the way she's living her life. And also Aaron Rodgers should be super concerned because A, as he ages, 
his ball throwing abilities are going to be, you know, worse. And he's just vulnerable that some other young up and comer randomly stumbles across her in the park and hurls the tennis ball a little bit further and she leaves him in a heartbeat. Hey, fortunes can change, right? Uh, the Beckhams. Victoria was the massive money earner when they got together and now it's the complete opposite. Yeah. And, and Eddie, I, I, I love Eddie's assessment too, where it's like, they're both famous. So how, like in no universe, if he is the grocery, grocery shelf stalker, are they meeting? Because the reason they met supposedly is through Danica Patrick. So, okay. When yeah. they were still together. I don't know if it's when they were still together or not, but so they don't, no one really knows officially how they got, how they met, which makes it seem as if that's what it must have been because you wouldn't want to say that, right? Like, oh, how'd you guys meet? What, you know, what was the first time you met? You want to be like, oh, while he was with Danica Patrick, we actually met and started hooking up. (laughs) (laughs) Great love story, right? (laughs) (laughs) But look, yeah, I mean, and that's not to say I understand why celebrities date each other because it just must be so difficult at times to relate to. I'm going to use the term normal people, but obviously not that they're special, but just the things you're going through. It must be nice in a sense to be able to have a very like, well, we both know what I'm talking about here versus if you are a incredibly famous person and I'm like, oh, how was your day? And like, oh, I was dealing with this and that. And it's like, yeah, my day was really tough. I got followed by paparazzi for like, for the first four hours and then i had to do these interviews and then like my agent called me and i have to book this and that like it would be a you'd be like oh okay my problems either now seem totally insignificant or just totally totally different to what you're going through but also they must like rich people meet each other at rich people's parties right it's just a different level of society like they're gonna hook up because they're the only ones invited. You're not going to see some guy who works. But I'm not it. talking rich. I'm talking famous. Like there, that's a very big distinction. It, okay, who would be famous that's not rich? Just out of curiosity, oh. within or I mean, depending on what you Vanilla consider ice. to be. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> a lot of fifty percent of ex NFL players, Mike Tyson. But, yeah, it depends what you consider rich, right? Because there there'd be plenty of actors that you know who are making a good living, but who aren't sort of rich. Like they're having a very comfortable life, but it's not like they can just retire and live off what they've got now, and they're done, and like life is life is easy and simple. But. I would flip it and say there's a lot of really, really rich people who aren't in any way famous. And yeah. those are the people having the really fucked up parties. Yeah. That's the party you want to be at. That's <laughs> like the eyes. eyes that's like the shot. eyes wide it's shut party. Wide that's wide where shot. you want to be. Yeah. You don't even have to wear a mask because no one knows who the other person is. So it's just, it's just, just a bunch eyes of wedge. YouTubers and things like that that no one cares about that and a shit ton of money. Wait, hold on a second. Why would you go YouTubers? <laughs> people who, who can only get rich by being famous. Yeah, but they're not globally renowned. They just get views from 15-year-old children. Which sounds worse than it is. Yeah, I'm not even gonna <laughs> not even gonna unpack what you just said, but uh, 
Uh, my follow-up I mean, to that was going to be, then you have parties where there's famous people who party with poor people in Paris at sex parties. <laughs> <laughs> but they used to be those kind of, I'm trying to think of like the, wasn't the, like David Cameron in the UK, what was it like the Bullingdon Club or something like that, where a bunch of rich people would go to like an everyday establishment, like a pub or something like that tear the place apart literally tear the place apart and then just give the bar manager or owner like twenty thousand for what they've done that kind of thing so i guess there is that situation good for them would you do that eddie would you go to like bugs if you would won like <laughs> if you would won like the lottery and you've got millions of euros would you take like, would you ever have a situation where you would like take a bunch of friends, trash your favorite bar, but give them the money to repair it and more just for the night you've had? No, I'd rather just buy it. That would be my move. I would just want to flat out just be like, I'm buying this place and I'm kicking the people out who I don't like. That would be, I would prefer <laughs> to do it that way where just, just be like, no, 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 no. Just name your price. And this is this this part this bar or this pub is now mine. I like how you I like how instantaneous the transaction is for you. Like you just flop tons of money on the table and go, you get out of my pub kind of thing. Yeah. Step one is is this enough to buy your pub? Okay, it is. Step two, you sir in the back, get the fuck out. <laughs> yep, pretty much. I own this place legally. <laughs> Poor Babs. <laughs> Paperwork yeah, is pending. Babsy, yeah. It's Babsy us out. Like Babs, how much to buy this place? Well, you know, it's X amount. Okay, get out. <laughs> but no, I don't understand uh people being intentionally destructive. That's never made sense to me. Even if you have the money to repair it or fix it or and what or compensate the person you're doing it to. I don't understand the fascination with just destroying things because you can, because of a sense of entitlement. That's never appealed to me. Now, uh, talking about a bunch of uh, English people traveling somewhere and just making a mess of things, maybe worth addressing the England cricket team's performance in uh, the, <laughs> the third test where things went spectacularly wrong spectacularly quickly today yeah uh, what is it shortest test since the first world war or second world war something like that so for context england lost a test within two days uh for everyone that doesn't know cricket too well tests go on for five days so it's then, not but here's the thing is like obviously there have been quick test matches you know there have been uh, we've all seen test matches end in, you know, near on two days or just into the third. That's not the surprising thing about it. It's more when you consider what the situation was at the end of the previous day, which was India were something like 20 runs behind with three wickets down. And then you consider that they were actually bowled out relatively cheaply. And so we're only whatever it was, 35, 40 runs ahead, or, you know, I can't remember the exact number. From that, yeah, to, to, to have to then manage to get yourselves bowled out so quickly that the other team is then able to chase down that total all within a day <laughs> is just yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, it's what was it, 17 wickets 
went down in two sessions and then India did the chase. Um, it was it was insane to the point where you have to question the pitch setup for the game because whenever a pitch is created or whenever a pitch is approved for test match play, it's approved for five days of wear and tear. If you have got to a situation where you've got like the Indian captain at the end of the game saying both teams couldn't bat, there's a problem. I, I, I think at some point you have to accept that something was majorly wrong with that pitch and something should be done about that because it, the Indian groundskeepers did not set that up properly. Yeah, I just remember waking up after that first day and I just, like I saw one one twelve and then I think India were what like ninety something on three. Yeah, and like ninety one like, for three at the end of play. Yeah. So. I was like, holy shit, this must have been this must have been a bad pitch. <laughs> but I think blaming the pitch is the easy way out, just because undoubtedly it was a difficult pitch to bat on. When you have four innings that well, three innings that teams fail to put up a decent total, that is indicative of something larger than just bad play but a lot of the dismissals i mean a lot of england players got out to spinners where there was the ball didn't turn and that wasn't because of the pitch that was just because the england batsmen just weren't playing spin very well other way around though leach and root got nine root joe root got five wickets yeah, I, I mean, I, I find it hard to judge the Indian in, innings in a sense because I think the mental approach is different. I think they will have felt the match had been won in the first innings almost. So, but I just think that it's easy to blame the pitch. I think fundamentally it was a very low. And look, these are two teams who have posted low totals in recent history. India were bowled out for 32 in Australia three months ago. So it's not like we're talking about a batting lineup that has never collapsed before. So was the pitch perfect? No, but I don't think the pitch excuses just what it overall. I think the, in general, that test match, really low standard of play, but was entertaining. Yeah, it was entertaining, but similar, similarly, I, I, I think the pitch was more to it in the fact that you had at one point able to say, if England can post another 100, what was it when they were like 46 or 50 for three? when Root and Stokes had like 10 or 15 yeah. as a run partnership. If England posted another 100, that's a competitive, That that's actually maybe a game-winning score. Like that's why, for my opinion, everything just flipped. And there's no there's no bad blood here with, with kind of like an English opinion. Like quite frankly, England were terrible, India were bad, and it was just a bowling attack of being in home territory that mattered. But I, I just think when you're, able to give commentary like that in a five-day test something's up um and uh, like i i i put personally a lot of it down to the pitch but similarly joe root has already come out and said you know picking one spinner was a mistake and um i think that showed as well for the fact that he got five wickets imagine how quickly maybe um ali or someone like that would have got rohit out if rohit didn't hit that 66 India may well have lost this test. And that's a crazy reality of that. I like this. The spin you're putting on the England cricket team is is only matched by the spin you put on Arsenal. It is. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying. Least, at least Sam is a believer. Yeah. I mean, Matthias Mullerithorin would be jealous of the spin you put on some things. Uh, I'll say that much. 
Rutilithrin is now the yeah. coin term. So but, I saw uh, that on Instagram today. I think, well, I mean, we'll see what happens next, but I just think. Uh... Incredibly humbling, though. Is the next <laughs> a one day? No, no, no. Another test. There's one more test, I think. There's the, it's a four test series four tests. in India, uh, two one ahead. Which means England can't go to the test final of sorts, like the new format. But um, if, if England can take the fourth test, uh, a dual draw is a pretty impressive series to come out of. <laughs> but last two tests, they've given me nothing to believe that's going to happen. <laughs> so... But you still believe. <laughs> Always got to believe. Always have to believe. Just don't have to be so effing negative all the time. No, there's a difference between in between positivity and negativity. There's reality, and every <laughs> once in a while, <laughs> oh, sorry, do you, are you straddling reality always? Is that what you're saying? I mean, I definitely lean negative. Yeah, but I think if you put both of you together, you would have someone who lives you'd have in reality. reality. <laughs> you would have perfect balance. <laughs> no, I I will reject this because. Uh, Sam's positivity, for example, when it comes to Arsenal is far more on the positive side of the spectrum than any of my negativity is on the negative side of the spectrum. Are you saying Sam's on a spectrum? <laughs> he's, on, he's on a spectrum. What spectrum's that? Don't know. People can send in, put their answers on a postcard, <laughs> send them to Sam. He desperately needs those postcards, it sounds like. so. Yeah. Just some sort of human contact would be nice. So postcards, anything would be good. You say that. I'm about, looks like I'm headed for my next lockdown here. So, oh, really? Are you in lockdown? Well, yeah. Are you in curfew? We're in curfew and semi lockdown in that bars and restaurants are only takeaway and stuff like that. But now it looks like we're, which I actually prefer lockdown to curfew i find the curfew to be much more annoying it's going to restrict uh, vas well maybe maybe not because so for example for me like working during the day and then the curfew is at six and so say you want to go for a walk or something i can't go for a walk after six o'clock i can't leave my house whereas during the lockdown i was at least able to go out each day for a walk at any time of day you wanted I'd, now in France, we like had to fill in a form and stuff and verify that you're only like going within a certain distance and that you're only going out for specific reasons. But at least I could pick and choose when I did that. Whereas the six o'clock curfew is actually more annoying. I'll uh, stick with my positivity about the UK's progress. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything will be fine by June 21st. There. You, you I have to say the UK. the vaccine levels in France are crazy low. Yes. It's embarrassing. No, no, there have been real issues with that. And there's departments in France that are complaining. Like uh, I saw one department that kind of one of the senior official within the department was like in 15 days, they haven't had, they haven't administered any more vaccinations. He was like, how is this possible? That in like a 15 day period, no vaccinations have occurred, but you know, it's France. It's not surprising. So what are they, what so are they far, doing with the vaccines? Are they missing? <laughs> like, are they trying know. to hit the arm and accidentally like... 
So far, it's been 4% have received one dose and 2% have been fully vaccinated. Compare that to the US, which I still don't think even is doing that great. And they're at 13 and 6%. So they're about three to four times higher. <laughs> That's pretty I mean, I bad. Think, so part of what, and this might be the rumor mill, and this might be a misunderstanding of the situation, but I think part of the problem France faces is that it actually secured a lower price for a lot of the vaccines than say the UK did. But the downside of that is that obviously the UK's higher price, not that this was the, this is not why they necessarily paid the higher price, but the advantage of having done so is that your orders are getting fulfilled then faster than someone who's paid less, which makes sense. Um, I don't think, I'm not giving Boris Johnson like a big pat on the back for nailing his approach either. But uh, it does seem like that may have been the unexpected benefit perhaps of his strategy. Um, but yeah, no, France is a mess from the vaccination standpoint. But uh, also France has a fairly large anti-vaxxer community. I mean, when they, whenever they do the polls as to whether or not people would even have the vaccine, the France is the highest has the highest degree of skepticism out of any European nation. Right. Sam, you should go move there. I'll stick with reality. <laughs> no, see again, Sam is optimistic that come June, I'm everything's going to be back to normal. You know what? Eddie? It's been so depressing. Never I getting out of it. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie will just perpetually be in lockdown. We'll never see him ever again. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. The UK gambled, but also it funded research with the AstraZeneca one. And as part of that research funding agreement, it secured earlier access to the dosage. So the spin doctor is at it again. Look at this. How is that spin? <laughs> you fund research for a reason, right? There's always an angle to research. Uh -huh. Spin doctor. Now, I guess uh, it wasn't the most thrilling. Uh, week of Champions League football. But one of the major stories, in a sense, was uh, Musiala, I believe, best correct way to say his name, who became the youngest, at the time was being classified as the youngest ever English goal scorer in the Champions League. I think he was two days short of his 18th birthday. Plays for Bayern Munich, obviously. However, today he has declared that he will commit to playing for Germany. It was obviously a big competition. He was eligible to play for Germany, England, and Nigeria. And he has opted to play for Germany, which I guess is a slight blow mm. to, to England. Kind of, kind of makes sense from, a, from a his perspective. You know, he was born in Stuttgart, wasn't he? So I can understand, you know, being in, uh, being in Germany, growing up in Germany, and playing for Bayern Munich now, I can kind of see all the cogs putting together and all the pieces coming together and wanting to play for Germany. I, it's a shame, but... His situation is he was born in Germany. I think he lived there until he was seven. Then he moved to London. He lived in London until he was 16. He was in the Chelsea Academy, and he then moved to Munich to be in the Bayern Munich Academy. His mother is German. His father is British-Nigerian. Uh, so, I mean, 
Nigeria would have been the real surprise pick yeah. only yeah. from the standpoint of just if you want to win things. And I could understand him saying he felt Nigerian and that was where he wanted to go. But the only thing that disappoints me when I read the comments, he does touch on the fact that he feels German and he feels English and he decided, he, I guess he feels a little bit more German. That to me makes perfect sense. What disappoints me slightly is there was also an element within it of he weighed up where he was most likely yeah. to play. I don't like that. I, I just think of that if I were an athlete, like I think you have to have confidence in yourself and just think, if I think I'm that good, I'm going to get this spot. Like if I think I'm good enough to hold down a position in the German team, I'm good enough to hold down a position in the England team. Yeah, I was just about to say that the the only disappointing part of the whole thing was he he made he made a value judgment on where to go, not like a personal judgment on how he felt about playing for a certain nation or country. It feels like it was tactical because he's, of that single sentence. He's a midfielder, right? He's an attacking midfielder, yeah. yeah. So he does so have he, a there's a lot of competition for places yeah. and and a lot of young players in the England setup who he and also the difference too is Germany had come out and said he was going to be selected for the national team for their upcoming fixtures in March whereas England keep their young players on a very specific sort of path where they progress through the under 21s and they keep them in the under 21s for a while and then they bring them so if you look at say like Phil Foden kind of a similar obviously competing for a place in terms of where they would fit in in the team, but also Phil Foden like remained in the under 21s for quite a long period of time and was only brought into the senior team when they felt he'd sort of was really ready for that. Not just turned when he, out. He wasn't mature enough yet. <laughs> not in terms of his actions <laughs> off the pitch. No. So now the interesting twist about this is though, that uh, FIFA recently changed the rules. So before, once you played one competitive fixture for a national team, you were locked in. Now you can play three competitive fixtures before you're locked in. So there is a possibility he could play for Germany in March and then change his mind. Not that I think he's going to do this. I think this is a firm statement of intent uh, and nor do I want him to because I don't like this idea. But it is interesting that he could conceivably play a couple of matches for Germany and then switch to playing for England. Why, why make that change? I, I didn't actually know that had happened with FIFA. Like, why? What's their rationale for giving people a chance to understand whether they like it or not? Or I can't, I don't, I haven't read about why they changed it. For me, speculating, the only thing I could think of is that from the player's perspective, perhaps it removes some of the pressure that sometimes a player feels like, like, say you think, say you were could play for Wales or play for England. And there's this opportunity when you're 18 to get a cap for Wales. Mm. You can take it not thinking that, well, I've completely shut the door on England by doing so. Do you think Ryan um, Giggs would have changed his mind then after a couple? Probably not. But I, and, and I guess what it also kind of removes is the uh, strategic, like the idea of capping a player even though you have no intent to then cap him again. But, you know, the, like England could have, or in the previous setup, you would have almost said, well, why don't you just call Musiala up for one match, give him a cap, 
And then if you don't want him to play for England again for four years while he develops, it's fine now. Like you've resolved the issue. Whereas at least now, if you want to, to have that settled, you have to involve him in multiple squads probably because to get three caps, that's probably usually two squads he's going to be part of. So in that sense, maybe that's why FIFA has done it to say like, look, you can't just, you can't just keep calling people up and then throwing them on as for like a one minute substitute appearance. And there you go. You don't have to worry about that. The fact that they might go and play for another nation now. Yeah. I think um, he's, he's clearly an outstanding talent and Bayern Munich will do extremely well kind of nurturing that, but it is a shame that that slight tactical element came into it. But you know what? As an attacking midfielder, you've got to say that England for the next decade look fairly locked. You know, we, have, we haven't even seen people like Bellingham. And you've already got the people kind of at the front of the queue and just behind that queue as well. So even though it's a smart move tactically, it still comes across as tactical. And that, that's kind of a shame about it. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it's going to be the be-all and end-all, but he's clearly highly regarded by Bayern Munich, and that says a lot. Um, so, yeah, we'll have to see what happens. If he turns out to be the best player in the world, it will have been disappointing for England. Well, I guess now that we've talked about sports for way too long of a time, we should switch to our real topic of interest, food. I, before we do that, as a final <laughs> sporting topic, I just had one list that I wanted to give you. Uh, which is, I know. I randomly saw this. I've never heard of this. It's, this, it's the Laureus, I think, World Sports Awards. And they have the Breakthrough Player or, well, Athlete of the Year. I don't understand. They've just announced this list. Uh, it seems a little bit late in the day. Like you would have thought that this is the kind of thing you settle in December or in the very least at early January and not in late February. But they have six athletes that they have as the breakthrough athletes of the year. And it is a very odd list. Is this so, all sports? It's all sports. You have a footballer as in soccer player you have an american football player you have a motorcyclist you have a cyclist you have a female tennis player and you have a male tennis player so out of interest let's just see the chances of you guessing them i suppose they're all for the most part i mean there's no way you're going to guess the motorcyclist i'll just say that you probably won't even guess the cyclist even though he's famous in cycling terms but who do you think is the breakthrough American footballer, football player of the year? I'm going to go. I'm going to assume that someone like Mahomes is already broken through and it's not like a very stupid thing like that because he's already been MVP. I'm going to go with DK Metcalf. Okay. Um, I can't remember his name. The guy at Washington. The um... Dwayne Haskins. <laughs> <laughs> Teammate of the year. There's Alex Smith, I think it was. <laughs> no, I can't remember his name at Washington. Um... Chase Young? Yeah. So both make sense as suggestions. Or even but Chase unfortunately, Claypool. or even Claypool at Steelers? It was Patrick Mahomes. 
Oh. It was Mahomes. See, I, I knew when you really? said it, I knew it was going to be something stupid like that. Okay, male tennis player, breakthrough tennis player of the year. Rafael Nadal. Yeah, Federer. No. no. Oh, Djokovic. Uh, no. <laughs> There's no one else. No, no. I'm going to go. This is male. This is male, yeah. I'm going to go with your son. Okay. No idea. It's Dominic Team. Oh, that was who, my second uh, guess. But he's, we just went over this. He's stop. 31. <laughs> he's, 20, no, he's 27. He's 27. <laughs> it makes sense from the standpoint that he won his first Grand Slam. So I kind of get it. But it, again, it feels weird for a player who's mm. been firmly established in the top 10 for several years now. Mm. And here's where the mix gets interesting. So footballer plays in Europe. I'll even give you a clue. Plays in Spain. Breakthrough player of the year. Messi? No. Plays with Messi, though. Frankie? <laughs> Tim Bailey? Wait, plays at Barcelona? Yeah. So, so that's surprising in itself, but. Well, it's Ansu Fati. Now, the weird thing about that is Ansu Fati actually seems like a player who qualifies for what you would think of as a breakthrough player. But then when you think of, if you've chosen Patrick Mahomes as the breakthrough player in the NFL, to have chosen Ansu Fati as his equivalent within football seems bizarre. Like the inconsistencies in the list are kind of unbelievable. Um, But never heard of the... Awards just happened to pop up on social media for me, and uh, now I can understand why I've never heard of them. Yeah. So, who were the motorcyclist, cyclist, and the other groupings? Just to hear. Well, the 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 cyclist is Pogacar, so that makes sense. Um, after the Tour de France, like that, legitimately makes sense. Um, the motorcyclist is Johan Mir, Juan Mir, never heard of him. And uh, the female tennis player is uh, Sviatek, who, Sviatek, uh, who makes more of a sense as a breakthrough player. But then when you think of they've chosen team on the men's side, it just seems like an odd choice uh, on the women's side. But yeah. I don't really get that. Like my concept of breakthrough would be someone that has literally done a lot in a very short space of time. I'm not sure if like winning one grand slam would count as that if you've been around for like six or seven years or however long team has been around for, like it doesn't feel like that's breakthrough. Like it feels like it's the moment where he finally came good, but I'm not sure if that's truly breakthrough. Yeah. But to me, breakthrough means someone who, all of a sudden has like stamped themselves as, as they're going to be a future force in this space, whatever they are. That's why I thought DK Metcalf, I thought would be a great pick because, you know, you went from DK Metcalf being a good receiver to this year. They're like, is he the next great Randy Moss, Calvin Johnson? Look how dominant he is when he wants to be, you know, that was a really breakthrough year for him. Patrick Mahomes won an MVP and won a Super Bowl and a Super Bowl MVP before this year. (laughs) 
Well, I guess you'd say that Super Bowl MVP was in this year. Like that's the thing, right? The Super Bowl win is in 2020. Oh, oh the 20- so they do calendar year. It's the, yeah, oh. it's calendar year. So it's the 2019 oh. season, but it is technically his oh. Super Bowl. Oh, it, <laughs> oh. it makes sense. <laughs> God, then I, then I changed my answer to Patrick yeah. Mahomes. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> okay, I take it back. The list is an excellent one. All right, now off that list, take us on to food, Frank. Yeah, I've had enough of sport. I just have a little update on this ever-growing chicken wars that's happening in the United States right now. So a new fast food chain has thrown thrown their chicken into the ring. Do you want to guess who it is? (laughs) That's such a weird concept. Uh, We're talking chicken sandwich here? Or chicken burger. Or chicken burger, or you—you you won't say. I won't say. We're talking chicken. Chicken and bun. Chicken and bread. Um. Who was it before? It was. Five Guys. No, I'll give you a hint. It's a chicken in a bread vessel. Oh, the Panera? vessel is not, not a bun. Panera. I don't understand why that would be a clue for me. <laughs> I don't understand why if that's the clue my answer isn't right. <laughs> it is in the form of a taco. Okay. So it's Taco Bell. Taco Bell has entered the chicken wars with a fried chicken taco that is basically when you look at it it's as if they took a bun and literally folded it into a taco. It's not a real taco. It's like a bread taco. So, of course, Popeyes, who loves to uh, be the social media bully, posted a five-step process of how to turn their chicken sandwich into a chicken taco. I did, like, step uno. (laughs) Step dos. Step drinks. And it's basically just like... Take buns, take chicken out, cut in half, put chicken in buns, fold buns. You now have a chicken taco. (laughs) It's so bad. But I love just how they keep just trying to bully everyone who wants to be in the chicken sandwich game. So question, is this legitimately a war or is this something that you are? This is not legitimately a war. (laughs) Like this is this is define, this is Frank. define legitimacy of wars. <laughs> Coalition of the willing isn't a war. <laughs> like, is the chicken the coalition of the willing, or is it a genuine war between fast food joints where they're like, I want to beat this brand, I want to beat that brand, or is this just you stoking a fire of chicken no i i clearly think obviously the franchises want to beat one another because the chicken sandwich is now becoming a super popular food item so if they can dominate see see no this is frank taking taking the bait hook line and sinker here the key word you said here in your question sam was coalition this (laughs) these fast food companies are teaming up here and they are preying on the simple minds of the American public 
and just saying, oh, no, my our chicken sandwich is better. No, your chicken sandwich is trash. Our chicken sandwich is better. And meanwhile, all those people out there then have to go and buy 19 chicken sandwiches so that they can give their opinion on social media about which one was the best. And the dollars just roll in. I didn't realize, we had, I didn't realize we had Karl Marx. Yeah. <laughs> While the CEO of all these fast food companies are having crazy parties, rich parties. <laughs> I mean, do you know who's behind it, Sam? The, the ruling classes. That eat George more chicken cow. Oh, George, George Soros. Soros. Oh, George Soros. <laughs> he, is, he is behind the chicken wars of 2021. This is I the mean, next you... step in them taking, taking over. I'm I'm assuming all of these places like Popeyes and stuff like that are public companies or are they privately owned? If they're privately owned, I, I'm I'm fueling that fire. Uh, I think they're all publicly traded companies. Okay. I would think. Ah, so I can see shareholders, we can see Soros, we can see Berkshire Hathaway, and it's it's all coming together. Bourgeoisie is uh pulling us into chicken wars. Frank, yeah, I mean, you, you know, any? like, of course he has. No, I He's... haven't tried any of them. <laughs> but, you I know, you, you said, you said, Sam, you know, that I'm the Karl Marx playing the Karl Marx here. You know, we had the opium of the masses in the Karl Marx era, era and the opium of the masses in 2021. It's chicken sandwiches. Oh, people would call Marx. That statement. <laughs> people are forgetting, you know, the whole, the world is burning down. You know, there's riots taking place all over the all over the place, elections being disputed. But as long as they can go and buy seven chicken sandwiches and rate them on Twitter, that's all that they care about. This is his final stage of capitalism. This is capitalism imploding on itself. This is the final stage. And Frank has just initiated it by exacerbating a war yeah. that doesn't exist. This is what this is what our listeners should think about. The every time they order a chicken sandwich or a chicken burger, whichever, you know, and in fact, I'm going to say call it a chicken burger because that is fighting back against the system. But every time you go out and order yourself a chicken sandwich, you are just moving us one step closer to the new world order. I bet you didn't expect this comeback, did you, Frank, when you brought this up? <laughs> hey, it's fine by me because the minute you and Eddie visit, we're going to go to every fast food restaurant and try their chicken sandwiches. <laughs> So long as when I order, I get to tell the person behind the counter how I think they are just contributing to the demise of the society as a whole, and they have <laughs> oh, to sit and they have to be, sit and listen. You'd yeah. be the worst. <laughs> they have to sit and. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure that person will really appreciate it. They have to sit and listen to me for the ninety seconds, two minutes it takes them to complete my order. That's fine. I will have done my bit to fight the system. Then, I'm sure your sandwich will be nice and clean then. I, I, you know, I like it with an extra bit of spit on it. It just reminds me of the, the you know, the working classes who put it together. <laughs> I can't, I can't even say the joke. I'm surprised you haven't tried these things. Don't. I'm surprised you haven't tried these things. Like, which one, which one would you opt for? In you this? have to start Popeye's. Do you? <laughs> you have to, to Sam. You, you have, have to, to start you Popeye's. To. You the have to. The new world order says so. Did it with those hypnotic eyes as he said it as well. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, there's there's times actually within our podcast if you play it backwards, that's what it says. Yeah. <laughs> Subliminal. 
I'd like to do it. I'd like, like when I do go to the States, hopefully this year, second half of the year, I, I want to try these things. These are new to me. Well, a chicken burger is a new to me. We um, want you to try them, Sam. <laughs> Something's for you to look forward to then, Sam. You'll have your vaccine oh, yeah. with your chip in it and you'll be chowing down on your chicken sandwich pumped full of steroids that control your mind. You're just, <laughs> you're just turning yourself into a robot. It's Bill Gates. He's he, uh, as soon as I had the vaccine, he was just telling me to go to, to wherever I want to go to get Popeyes, I guess, which is nationwide. Just fly into the US. Just think about it. An anagram of Popeyes is Pope. Yes. Are you are you claiming religious connections within? Okay. I'm not claiming. I'm just saying maybe. Did you did you write the Da Vinci Code? I did, yes. I'm Dan Brown. No, he directed I, the shitty movie. <laughs> do you know what? I'll take that too, Frank. I'll take it if you told me I could have directed one of the most successful film franchises of all time. I'll yeah. take it. I don't that think... That was not a, one of the most successful film franchises of 100% all time. 100% was. Careful, 100% careful. Was. It, it was. Or it No way. They were terrible. The the second one got like a 5% on Rotten Tomatoes. Any, anything with Tom Hanks in is not terrible. Oh, no, no, no. I think they're terrible. It's just successful. I There's... don't think they're terrible. I, I, the first one. If the, what's anyway. the second one called? Uh, Angels and Demons. Yeah. Oh, you're so lucky. I just guessed a series of words and got right. <laughs> Popeye's chicken sandwich. That's the second one. <laughs> Angels and Demons got a 37% on Rotten Tomatoes. How much did the it make at the box? How much did it make at the box office? 133 million. I, I, that doesn't that's sound good. That's not great. No, no it doesn't sound good. No, it's not that good. For a super successful franchise. Okay, what about what about Da Vinci Code? I feel like that was the that was the you know haymaker that they had, you know, coming out first, coming out. Hold on, where are you reading 130 million? I bet it was US box office. Domestic be... box office. Oh, look at this centric US centric asshole. 490 million worldwide. <laughs> yes, we have money. <laughs> i'll round it up it's 491 million worldwide the da vinci code meanwhile made 760 million worldwide so you are talking about that's two movies already that made over a billion dollars okay well well let me read off some other franchises that are successful any of the marvels star wars james bond Batman, Harry Potter, oh, X-Men, Jurassic okay, Park, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings, Indiana Jones, Superman, Stop. Fast and the Furious, Shrek, Rocky, Pirates of the Caribbean, Transformers, Toy Story, all made over $5 billion. Well, so they're nowhere near with that. The, you're talking about the franchises themselves have made over $5 billion? Yeah, you said one of the best franchises. Most successful. We, Most successful. Need... <laughs> Sorry. Look here. Here's the thing is. Look here. Fast and the... Look here. Are you <laughs> my father? <laughs> 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 
Look here, son. Look here, yo, whisper snapper. <laughs> the, the, you're comparing sometimes there. So we've only looked at the two of two movies from the Da Vinci Code franchise that now we're up to 1.3 billion or whatever. The you're you're comparing it to like James Bond. There's like 22 movies. Yeah. Like, of course, of course, it's made more money. Frank's logic at like, did uh, how did Da Vinci Code do? How did that franchise do? Well, it made about 1.5 billion. Well, Star Wars has been around for 50 years and made seven. Like. Yeah, I mean it's it's not a fair. There's been what seven Fast and the Furious movies, six Pirates. Oh. Of, I mean, how many Pirates of the Caribbean have there been? I don't even know anymore. Five, five, five. I want to say five. I mean, this only had three films, and to be, I'm, I'm guessing the final one made less, but it's still probably around three, four hundred billion. What was the name of the final one? You know what? I really can't remember. Yeah. I think but it's Inferno, I do, isn't it? It's Inferno, yeah. I do remember but, it had the um, the actor who was in Rogue One. Yeah. But isn't that a testament? There's actually been five books, and they've only made three movies. So how is it that successful of a franchise if they don't want to make the other? 200, 220 million on the final movie. So let's call it one and a half billion dollars. Look, I, oh, I'm putting. I'm just gonna f- stay out in case anyone out there is interested in hiring me as a director. If I have the option of directing three movies that gross 1.5 billion dollars, I won't have Frank tell me I was unsuccessful. Also, weren't they Ron Howard? So it's hardly like it was like some low key director on these. Yeah, even Da Vinci Code only got 36 percent of Rotten Tomatoes. Do you really no, believe? Sorry, that? 26. 26. Yeah, did you watch it? It was not good. But, but of course they got low low ratings because again, the New World Order didn't want to be exposed. So you know why, Eddie? There's a one reason why it got low reviews. Because the book is always better than the movie, Eddie. But if you don't read the book, then it doesn't matter. The movie's good. As in Just my think, case, I never another... read the damn graphics. No, neither did I. I only saw one of the movies, and I didn't even want to see it. It was, <laughs> it was just inescapable. The first movie was just. I love how you're defending a movie you barely seen and haven't seen any of the other in this successful trying, franchise you've labeled. I'm trying to identify Eddie's analysis of inescapable, whether that's a positive or a negative. <laughs> like. Uh, no, it's a positive. It was just everywhere, you know, like on TV, on airplanes, everywhere. No, look, Frank, I cannot like something or not even see something and know it's success. Like, I'll blow your mind, Frank. Never read a Harry Potter book. I know that the Harry Potter books franchise is super successful. I won't be like, not read it. I'm going to reserve judgment until I, Edward Hewitt, have read one of the novels and decided that they are good enough to be classified as successful. Only saw one Harry Potter movie as well. But I know that the Harry Potter movie franchise. Oh, God. Which one did you see? Tell me you saw the worst one. I saw the first one. Okay. (sighs) Second worst one. Wait, but so again, you, it sounds like you've got the ranking straight down in the top of your head. Well, I would just say that the, the first two are the worst two. What's the best one? The best book or the best movie? Movie. I don't read. <laughs> the 
best movie is probably the last one. Re- what well, Deathly Hallows Part Two? Yeah, or mm. the fourth one, because the fourth one is the best book by far. The whole Triwizard Tournament. Such a great idea. Love, love the competition aspect. Now you know, Sam. Now I know. Did you also know that Ron Howard is an anagram of a word horn? That's, you should think about that. <laughs> what website have you got up? <laughs> I do like the concept of a Marxist plot going through movies, though. Isn't there this, I can't remember the name of the website, but there's a Christian, like a far-right Christian website that reviews Be movies. Be careful. Be careful, Sam. No, no, no. There, there, there is. And there's one where they said that Happy Feet was somehow like a socialist agenda getting pushed on everyone because of the camaraderie within Penguins. Um, I can't remember the name of the far right. I, I can't remember it, but I do remember that kind of agenda of sorts being pushed. Makes sense. I love how contentious food gets with us that we've gone from chicken sandwiches to Marxist the Da Vinci Code and the Da Vinci Code. I mean, that's the real topic, though, I will say, Sam, you said, is every, like, isn't any movie with Tom, Tom Hanks in it a good movie? I'd argue, I don't think Tom Hanks has made a good movie in 15 years. When was Captain Phillips? Uh, I don't, I feel like that. I'm not even, I'm not going to put Captain Phillips in the good movie category. It's like an okay movie for me. It's not like, wow, what a movie. The last legitimate. Oh, wait, wait. Sam could pull his animated movies are really tough and difficult to do and say Toy Story yeah, 4. Toy Story. I'm okay. I'm, I, I'll give you, a, I'll give, I'll allow Toy Stories. It's not that I don't count those as being, no, it's just like I actually haven't seen Toy Story for the to me what, the last what about legend- a beautiful day in a neighborhood wasn't he nominated for an, an academy award for that but yeah i'm i'm not, not i don't 95 on rotten tomatoes <laughs> what is your obsession if something has a good rating on rotten like good god they, they are not the barometer for the world <laughs> make your own assumptions yeah <laughs> Like, Patrick Mahomes you, has a 97 on Rotten Tomatoes. Do you like watch a movie and you go like, I think that was a good movie, but hold on, let me check first. Yeah, that was a good movie. I can tell people that was No, good. actually, I do watch movies, though, and then I say, I wonder what Rotten Tomatoes gave this, because normally they're actually off. <laughs> okay. To me, the last legitimately good Tom Hanks movie might be Catch Me If You Can. I'm pretty sure he's been nominated for... No, actually, Bridge of Spies was pretty good. There's that movie. Okay, yeah. Bridge of Spies was good. That's a good movie. I still I think say, my point... I, I, never say, I never saw Sully. There's that one. Yeah, I saw Sully. Sully was really good. Really good. <laughs> yeah, really good. Really good. It was a really tense film. I really liked it. No, tense and good are not always the same thing. No, but I'm saying they're the same thing for Sully. <laughs> I don't want movie recommendations from you if you think Sully was a really good movie. It was what about The Post? Did either you see oh, that one? That one, what, Mel Streep about the Washington? Yeah. Yeah. I that didn't was, see that. 
That was good. I didn't see that either. That was a good film. Look at this. Look at Mr. Positivity over here. Tell me a bad <laughs> tell me a bad Tom Hanks movie, Sam. The, the most recent one, Greyhound. <laughs> Terrible. Saving Mr. Garbage. Banks. What about when he was Walt Disney? No. The only thing that would have saved Greyhound is if they'd been torpedoed like three nights early in. on. <laughs> and just, I would have rather watched. I would have rather watched the next ninety minutes of just the open Atlantic Ocean with nothing else. That would have had more drama in it than the pointless battle that was going on. <laughs> Cloud Atlas is a complicated but good film. Cloud Atlas is not a very good film. I would say Captain Phillips and Bridge of Spies are his best, latest movies. And they are about seven years ago now. When was Road to Perdition? That was around Catch Me If You Can, wasn't it? It was like early 2000. Oh, yeah, Road to Perdition is like 2002, 2003. That's a very good movie. It is a very good movie. He had a stellar early noughties, 90s, Tom Hanks. I'm just, no, he did. And he's lucky. He's fortunate that he did because 90s Tom Hanks has cemented in people's mind who and what Tom Hanks is. And he's just living off the 90s gravy train. Wait, no. Catch Me If You Can and Road to Perdition were the same year. Wow. Solid. I'm not giving that a wow, but yeah, that's (laughs) wow. Oh my god! <laughs> You're not allowed any sort of expression with Eddie. It has to be monotone. No, I, I, mean, wow. I love, I love you, the differences yeah, here. I love it. I just like, wow, that's cool. That's that's it. You're just like, I acknowledge that they're at the same t- same year. I'm just like, wow. He, he, uh, a good actor made two pretty good movies in the same year. Oh, please write reviews for us. <laughs> like, can't wait to read those. I need some positivity from you. It's no, but seriously, if if uh, Tom Hanks had been in a coma from like 1994 to 1999 and hadn't made any movies, so he fundamentally only had 80s Tom Hanks and 2000s Tom Hanks, he would be like, eh, take him or leave him. Who's a really Wait, so good you're actor? not including Road to Perdition and Castaway and Catch Me If You Can in, in Castaway. That? Good one. If yeah. if those are his best movies, his career is fine but not spectacular. Who who is like a really good actor for you then? Who who would you start using? No one. Eddie's never seen one yet. He's still He's never waiting. seen one. No. <laughs> He's no. still waiting for someone that impresses him on the screen. Yeah. I look, I mean so it's no one. <laughs> No, 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 no. There's plenty of good actors. There's plenty. I was trying to think of an actor. So, for it's an unoriginal choice, but I'll say that Leo. if I have to pick who I think is kind of, and this isn't obviously not me being like an actor's actor because I'm not an actor, so I'm not judging. Oh, Christian Bale is going. No, with. I'm going to go Daniel Day Lewis. I think it's a very unoriginal choice. The only downside to Daniel Day Lewis is the whole method aspect of it really pisses me off, and. Like if I'd ever like been on set and someone insisted like call me Abraham because I'm currently playing Lincoln, I would have smacked him in the face, probably assassinated him in the similar fashion to Abraham Lincoln was. 
Lincoln has been assassinated twice in the theater. Exactly. <laughs> and he deserved it this time. Uh, method acting is pretty common. I think it's so pretentious and unnecessary. I mean, what's the last good movie Daniel Day-Lewis has done in 15 years? Well, yeah, I put mean, him in a coma. He, he wasn't in a lot of movies. So the time period, like he chose movies pretty selectively, right? So I didn't see his find the Phantom Thread or whatever it was that I didn't watch that movie. So I can't possibly comment on that. But Lincoln was good. I really like uh, Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I'm not giving yeah. it amazing. I'm not giving it a wow, but it was it was good. Uh, what else was he in? Like I'm now having to there will be blood was the last okay. one. After there will that. be blood. Very good. No, no, very good movie. Very good. But 2007, mm. you're coming up on 15 well, years. Yeah, but okay. That was. That's it's because okay. he didn't do it a lot. He was off making shoes in Italy or whatever he does when he's not acting. And then Gangs of New York in 2002. Slightly over. Which is crazy because I feel like that's older. Slightly overrated movie, but yeah. good movie. I like that movie. It's a little tad bit on the long side. <laughs> okay, I'll give you Jack Nicholson, good actor. Like, in good movies, I enjoy his performances. When I say good actor, Jack Nicholson just plays. This is also the other distinction. I'd give Daniel Day-Lewis more credit because Daniel Day-Lewis acts like... Daniel Day-Lewis is different in every role he plays. He is a very different person. Jack Nicholson doesn't act. He just is Jack Nicholson in every movie. And that's cool because it works in the movies that he's in and it's enjoyable to watch. But that's also like another distinction that in like me personally, I got to make when I'm trying to assess the performance. Again, I'm not an actor. I'm not doing, I can't do it on kind of technique or style, but like, when I'm watching a movie and I'm just like, this is just copy and paste the same person into a different movie, but I enjoy it. It's fine, but I'm not going to give him a huge pat on the back and congratulations for doing it again. Just establishing how hard you are to please. Too true. You got to set your standards high, Sam. Just enjoy what you see. You can be disappointed and still enjoy it. That's the beauty of life. You can have enjoyment and disappointment in the same moment. Yeah, sometimes I walk away and I go, I enjoy how miserably that person failed at attempting to please me. <laughs> I guess you could have like a game where your team lost, but was in like a 6-5 epic. So you enjoyed the game, but you're disappointed at the outcome. I'll give you that. But on the whole... You're just, you're just hard to please. I don't know what card I'm sending you, but you'll be disappointed. If it doesn't have your blown off fingers in it, then yeah, I've already told you what card you have to send me to please me. I'll take one finger. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's the sound bite of the year right there. <laughs> Well, on that note, there's really nothing left to say. <laughs> there is there is no better sign-off than that. <laughs> All right. See ya. Uh.
I'll talk to you boys later. Cheerio.